So for a period of my life, I was in uh, waste management, not the mafia, but uh, I had a job, like an actual trash man job. <clears throat> so on The Sopranos, I wouldn't be like one of the mob guys. I'd be like the guys that drove the actual trash trucks. Like they were always arguing over trash routes. I was one of the losers working on the on a trash route. You would have been one of the guys killed in a mafia yeah. territory gang war. Yeah, something I had nothing to do with. I'm just there to cash a check. Anyway, I worked at this place. It was basically they recycled um, old electronics. So people show up like an old TV, an old box TV or an old computer or something. I don't know. I'd put it on something, wrap it, put it on a truck, get rid of it. I don't know what the process was. But uh, anyway, we worked inside this company. We're like a little trash company working inside a bigger trash company. I think it well, actually, I won't say where it was, but it was a big trash company, trash collecting company. There was a guy there uh, who worked there uh, named Ray, guy named Ray. He was a great guy. Uh, but he was, uh, I don't know, he was a character. He... Uh, he was a Vietnam vet. He was a Marine, which he, he had a lot of crazy stories about that. And I never quite understood what Ray's job was. It was explained to me that he used to be a trash guy. Like, he used to be on one of the trucks collecting trash, which is what most of these guys do. Then I heard something about he was in the office for a while. But he had basically been downgraded to, he was like kind of a custodian, but not really. Because all I knew about Ray is he showed up to pick up the trash like three times a day. But he wasn't, um, I mean, he, he, was, he seemed smart. You know, he was, he was, he was a capable guy. But uh, anyway, Ray uh, had a bit of a drinking problem. He liked to get sauce before he showed up to work at <laughs> 6 in the morning. <laughs> anyway, but still, he, he's a good guy. I don't want to talk trash about Ray. Uh, no pun intended, I guess. Anyway, Ray was a Marine, and uh, at one point, I was, quote-unquote, the manager of this tiny warehouse, which basically meant, like, I was in charge of, like, one fucking person. And uh, anyway, we were, like, running through people, because we could never keep people at this job, so I was working with different people, like, every day. And this older guy came in, and we just didn't get along. Uh, we didn't get along right away. Like, this guy was just a boomer, hippie, fucking peace like just do nothing but no, knows it all dumbass you know what i mean uh and this guy he he, he rubbed me the wrong way turns out he was a racist too i think i've told told you this story he was just like casually started dropping the n-word one day but he was doing it like a really serious way where he's making a point like he thinks the n-word is needed to back up his point hard r oh yeah hard r I remember that really bugged me, and that was when I was like, "Yo, this guy, if he shows up again, I'm gonna, uh, I'm not, I'm not showing up, or I'm gonna kill him, or something." Anyways, so this guy was already rubbing me the wrong way, and he had told a story about he had said he was a marine because at the time I was in the Army Reserve, so I was probably talking about that. He said he was a marine, and I don't know, like something smelled fishy to me because I'm not saying I can tell like who's a marine and who's not, but I just. I just looked at this guy, and I, I knew what he made hourly. I knew what position he was at in life, and I just knew from talking to him. I'm like, this guy wasn't a fucking Marine. I just felt it. So Stolen I, valor. He, well, kind of, because he made it sound like, oh, I was a Marine during Vietnam, and it made it sound like he went to Vietnam, but I was just like, I don't know. I'm just, I, I just, he wasn't cut from the same cloth as my boy Ray. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> My boy Ray's seen some shit. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I get the full story out of this guy. He wasn't a fucking Marine. He went to basic for, I think, two weeks. I can't remember why he got a medical discharge. And I'm not saying, look, a lot of medical discharges are, are incredibly valid, but there are a few that squeak through where you're like, what? Like, you have six toes or something? Like, it's just weird shit. He had something like that, so he basically quit basic training. That's what that means. I mean, I, I, I've seen that happen. And then I just looked at him. <sighs> he was even worse. My estimation of him, I'm not ashamed to say, fucking plummeted after I learned that. And so anyway, Ray comes in one day. Yeah, I'm assuming Ray's sauced. You know that you know that whole thing about like uh, you always see in movies they're like they drink vodka because people can't smell vodka on your breath. Yeah, bro, you can smell <laughs> vodka on someone's breath because Ray liked his fucking vodka. He loved. And you his know vodka. what? Like a true alcoholic, he thought I'm drinking I'm drinking vodka <laughs> yeah. because no one can smell it. He's like, I can just talk right in people's faces; they don't even know. We're all just like Ray, you're trash, bro. It's 10 a.m. Yeah. Um, So anyway, he comes in one day, and I knew Ray was a Marine. And I just said, uh, I just wanted to start some shit, you know? So I said, hey, Ray, this guy was a Marine. I can't remember the guy's name. Ray was like, oh, really? And he comes over, talks to him like he's going to about to meet a friend. And then he (laughs) he starts asking him questions like, where'd you go to basic? What unit were you in? What was your MOS? And he couldn't answer that stuff, so he had to tell Ray the truth, like, right away. And uh, Ray goes, you're not a Marine. And this guy's like, I went, uh, yeah, I am a Marine. I went to basic. I I had a medical discharge, blah, blah, blah. And then Ray gets, like, two inches from this guy's face. Like, this guy's smelling the vodka bad, because I've been that (laughs) close to Ray's face. And uh, he just, I, I, I won't dare guess what the song is, but it was like a, it was a Marine hymn. I know because I've heard like their songs they sing in the army. There's the army song. I, I can't remember. I don't know if he was doing whatever he was doing. It was something you learn in basic. And he started spouting it off, like yelling it in this guy's face. Like two inches away, it looked like he wanted to fight him. But he's just going through this song because he had asked this guy like, uh, oh, do you know this song? Whatever the song is. The guy's like, oh, I don't remember that. Like, who remembers that? That was like 40 years ago. That was when Ray was just like, boom, doing the song. Yeah, waste management. That's how it goes, bud. Broadcasting straight from Big Rock Candy Mountain, I'm Zachary Lehman. I'm Taylor Perryman. How can people find you, Taylor? They can find me on Instagram, the underscore Poptimist. That's where I post all about my show, The Poptimist with Taylor Berryman. Any new episodes, any music I have coming up, you can find it all there. And you can find me on Twitter at Writing Lehman and Zachary Lehman on Facebook and Instagram. So, beginning of October, how do we start off the first day of October? What did we do? We saw The Many Saints in Newark. The Many Saints in Newark, a soprano story. Uh, so it's been out a couple days now. There's been reactions. And, and as far as, uh, I guess, I don't know, have we, I, think, I, I guess we've mentioned The Sopranos on this show before, but, uh, I, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I think it was, 
come town or something, some comedy podcast. But one of them was having like, he was like, uh, you know, I've just been binge watching the Sopranos and he sounded kind of depressed. And then he said something without any sort of like snark or irony. He's like, yeah, it gets more important as you get older. And he's talking about the Sopranos. That's exactly how I feel about it. I know you loved it when you watched it this time. So yeah, I was already sold on this movie. Oh, go ahead. How did you discover The Sopranos? Um, well, my brother. My brother watched it. And he loved it. And I remember it always being like super hyped up back then. But I was just never... I don't know. It was like a... Well, back then, it was a rich people show. Because it was on HBO. You know what I mean? It, this was not the streaming world. Like, you know, my family had 13 fucking channels. You know? Nobody... If we're getting HBO this month, we ain't eating. Like, that's how it was. So you'd have to watch it on DVD, and my brother did later because he would get them, and I was just like, eh, no, maybe I'll check it out someday. And then I did a few years back, and I was, uh, it, it's the great, it's maybe, it, it's definitely one of the greatest pieces of American writing ever. One thing you said about it that I really liked was you refer to it as American Shakespeare. 100%. 100% it's American Shakespeare. Because it's a mix of comedy and tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just, it's so, and, and there's been a lot of great, I know everyone goes like, oh, the golden age of television, there's all these great shows, these great shows, they are great, but Sopranos was just, it was just at a different level because it was so nuanced, it was so layered, that's why it's still as popular as it is, you know what I mean? Not a lot of shows from back then are still that popular, and if they are, they're like, what holds up that long? Friends, Seinfeld, The Office, it's a lot of comedies hold up, you know what I mean? Dramas people tend to like move on from. But Sopranos, like you said, has a lot of comedy. But again, I think it's that perfect storm of everything is what makes it so great. Now, I, it has not been matched since. Well, I think that too, in the mixture of looking at family in a realistic way, like your actual yeah. family in a realistic yeah. way. It, the, the show's just about life. Uh, Chrissy Moltisanti, you know, he has like one of the best lines in the show. It's so well written, it's so well delivered. Uh, played by uh, Michael Imperioli, who we'll talk Spider. about. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, he's a muttering, stuttering prick. And uh, he says, I don't know, Tony. Sometimes uh, the regularness of life is just too much, you know? And it's such a like thought-provoking and challenging line wrapped in such realistic language. Like, this is really going through this character. This is how he knows how to express this. It's not a writer expressing something. It's a writer who understands his characters at, like, a deep, deep fucking level. So it's amazing writing. So anyway, after all this time, David Chase makes a prequel about Dickie Moltisanti, who is the father of the character I was just talking about, Christopher Moltisanti, who's on the show for almost as... We'll just go... We're going Soprano spoilers. Yeah, we're going full spoilers. Who's on the show for almost the entire six seasons. He dies at the end. And Dickie Moltisanti is his father, who's already dead when the show starts. But we always hear he's this surrogate father to Tony Soprano, the main character played by James Gandolfini. So the movie's about who's the man who made the man. You know what I mean? It's the Phantom Menace thing. Well, it's about that, too. And I think... The other thing, like, before we get started, we should say, Tony Soprano got whacked at the end of Sopranos. That's, that's the stance, my take. That's the stance that this podcast is taking. Yeah, but I'm open to other interpretations. I think other interpretations are fun, but I think it's, 
it's pretty much a given. Look, the end of that show is the end of Tony's life. Whether it's meant figuratively or literally. One yes. way or another, it's the end of his life. Well, the whole movie, The Many Saints in Newark, it's really about what shaped Tony and how he became the way he became. So he's very innocent in this movie. He doesn't really do yeah. anything bad that's other than kid stuff. Well, and I think... Because we'll, we'll talk about this too. Like, there's been some, I've seen some Sopranos fans are not happy with the movie, but uh, I think it's because they expected the young Tony Soprano story. But this story, Tony is one of many characters. He's definitely not the lead. And also, it's more about we see the moment that this guy is birthed. We see the moment that he becomes the Tony Soprano on the Sopranos or he's on his journey to get there. Cause the final moment in this movie is, uh, is that moment. And then it ties into, uh, you know, the, the last line of the movie, which is about basically his ultimate sin in the show, which was killing Christopher Moltisanti, who he's become like a father figure, uh, to his nephew by marriage. He's become a father figure too, since Dickie's not around, but he ends up killing him again in, uh, season six. So yeah, I, I I I love that. I love that. Yeah, I overall I I love the the movie. I thought it was great. It was like a season finale episode of The Sopranos. Yeah, that's another thing. Like uh, I I see people say uh, <clears throat> it feels too rushed, and I get that. Like I think this would have one hundred percent. It would have been better if it was like you know a six episode series or something. But I understood what they were doing too. It's this is a movie. You know what I mean. And I feel like that some people who are angry, they need uh, they need to fucking they need to watch Sopranos again, bro, because they're not taking Phil Leotardo's advice about compromise. They want the same shit over and over. They're like, no, I want what that is. And it's like, look, it's been fucking how many fucking years and you're getting a Sopranos movie from David Chase? It's like it's like Phil Leotardo said, bro. Twenty years in the can. I want a man I got. I had grilled cheese on the radiator. I wanted to fuck a woman. I jerked off in a tissue. Compromise. So compromise a little bit. I compromised a little bit. I changed my expectations because I understood, okay, David Chase is trying to make his gangster movie. Because, like, The Sopranos is in this gangster genre. And it is talked about with these classic movies like Goodfellas and The Godfather and stuff, but it's always like, oh, it's TV. It's like David Chase has always said he's he's a movie guy. He wanted to turn Sopranos into a movie when he did the the pilot. He was hoping they wouldn't pick it up. So I was like, this is awesome. He's getting his own movie. And I, again, I loved it. It is fan service. That's the other thing. If you don't like fan service, which I usually don't like fan service, but it's done right here. Every moment, David Chase is, it, it's like the, that last moment of The Sopranos, which everyone knows, cut to black. I think people upset about the movie are the same people who are upset about that finale. It'll grow on people over time. You know what I mean? Because I think, because yeah, like, you know, you don't get to learn as much about some of these guys as you did Silvio and Polly and stuff on the show because it's a movie. You know what I mean? Don't fucking, and don't fucking watch this and then watch The Irishman and tell me how brilliant the fucking Irishman is. You know what I mean? This was 10 times better than The Irishman. I agree with that. Yeah, um, I, one of the things I liked about it was the fan service because it had all oh. these nods to the show. And David Chase just gave a middle finger. He was like, I don't give a fuck. Absolutely, this is a fan service moment. He just, and he lays him out. He, he, like the whole movie stops for it. 
But again, you're in the hands of a master, so you're like, oh, this is amazing. Like the whole movie's... When Pussy introduces himself, it's an entire moment in itself, just him going. Like, the, what does he go? Uh, the priest is like, uh, uh, I didn't catch the name. He just goes, Pussy. That's it. That's the fucking line. Just Pussy. Boom. Moment. I loved all those moments. It was great to see all the characters that we know and love from The Sopranos as young guys. One of the interesting things about it was all of the guys that end up in Tony's crew were oh, Dickie's crew. Yeah. You, you were talking about this after the movie. That is, see, it's little stuff like that. I understand some criticisms of the movie. Because, look, there, there are some flaws. Like, I've seen some people say, like, oh, sometimes it chooses to show, not tell. But, look, there is still nuance there. Because, like, what you just said, the fact that Tony, years later, is working with Dickie's crew shows how dedicated he was to this guy and how influential this guy was over his life. Because, yeah, so to, to give kind of an oversight of the movie, basically this is set way before The Sopranos. Tony's, I think they say 15 or something? Well, he starts off in the movie, he's... Uh, oh, he's very young in he's, the first I think he's probably like 12 or 13 when the movie starts. Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, he's getting into a little bit of trouble, but he, you know, he, says, he even says later in the movie, I, I want to go to college. I can't get caught with this shit, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, it, the, but the story's really about Dickie Moltisanti and he's mentoring Tony, but that's just one of the things Dickie has going on. You know, he's trying to have a kid. He, uh, is definitely, he's got some flaws, clearly a bit of a black sheep, but, uh, people respect him. And anyway, they're in this Jersey crew, which the Jersey crew we see later, some of the same guys. Uh, we got a young Paulie. Uh, we got a young, uh, a young Silvio. Young pussy. Young pussy. And then we see some other younger characters. We see Artie briefly. Yeah. Uh, well, Artie was was on the truck with him. He was the one who was driving the, the ice cream truck. Was that him? That was him. I looked it up okay, to see. Okay, so that was him. And then there was another scene where he was. And then Jackie April. And then uh, who else? Oh, Tony. Uh, is it Blondetto? Steve Buscemi's character? Yeah. He gets a mention. That animal Tony Blondetto. <laughs> and again, fan service. You also see a lot of moments like that were talked about on The Sopranos. But the Sopranos themselves, like Tony's father's in it, played by John Bernthal. Uh, Johnny Boy. Johnny Boy Soprano. His mother is in it, who's played brilliantly by fucking Vera Farmiga. She's yep. like... And that, that's one thing I'll say. Maybe some people will go, ah, the performances, like maybe they don't hit the mark for them and they seem more like impressions. I thought everyone hit it out of the park. It was believable. Even uh, Uncle Junior, dude. Played by Corey Stahl. Yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah, and he was so perfectly cast. I, I can't picture anyone else doing Junior. Well, the thing about these characters, too, they want, I feel like anybody who is talking shit about this movie right now, they want to see the characters as they were in The Sopranos. Exactly. But they're younger they're not, versions yeah. of them. They're not, they're not there yet. Yeah, I saw, like, Michael Gandolfini, who, yeah, I guess we should mention, but everyone fucking knows at this point. Michael Gandolfini plays... Uh, the young Tony Soprano that we see for the majority of the film. And Michael Gandolfini is the son of the late James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano on the show, which sounds like stunt casting. I've seen some people say they didn't like him in the movie. I thought he was fucking amazing. Well, he was great because Tony had a lot of innocence in this movie. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, I was listening to some interview with him where he was talking about when he, when he was first doing it, he was being too aggressive, too much like his dad. And David Chase had to be like, you're not that guy yet. Like, you're that guy at the end. And so he did play it with a lot of innocence. Like, this is Tony as a literal kid. One great line uh, 
is when Dickie goes up to see like young, young Tony. Cause for the first third of the movie, maybe a little bit more than that, we see Tony as like a 12 or 13 year old kid. Yeah. So he's, he's a lot younger Chubby kid like AJ. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Dickie walks in and he's reading a comic book, historical fiction. Tony, oh, lo- yeah. Tony loves history. Tony, yeah. He likes history. <laughs> um, but they do, they have this whole scene where they do, uh, like a pinky promise and he tells him, you know, you got to be good. And Tony says, I try to be good, which is, that is Tony throughout the whole fucking show, dude. And that's the other thing I love about this, this movie. Cause again, it is Dickie Moltisanti's story. Dickie says that same line later. He goes, I try so hard to be good. (laughs) I think that's like literally right after we witness him kill a woman. But um, yeah, I, if you see it, you're like, this is absolutely the guy that Tony emulated. You know what I mean? And you see, too, like, again, as a fan, I love this shit. Like, uh, the relationship with Johnny Boy, his relationship with his dad. He always speaks very lovingly of his dad, but he never has, like, specific memories. So on the show, you're kind of like, maybe his dad wasn't around that much. And again, that's what's brilliant writing. It's never fully explained. But here you get to see, like, yeah, Johnny Boy's not really there. So Dickie is his surrogate father. And for a large second, Johnny Boy, section of the movie, Johnny Boy goes to... Uh, prison yes so he's he's in prison um he goes into jail one of the things i liked is it showed that playland scene as it actually happened not as a flashback because you remember in the show show, yeah it was on the show it was a little bit different too and again because tony's memories you can't really trust him because on the show i can't remember if this was one of the times johnny boy got arrested on the show but didn't he, uh, I thought he got out of jail right away for that whole Playland thing. Isn't that how Tony remembered it? Because he came, yeah, he, he came in. he came back that night. But the thing is, he might have just made bail by then. He might have still had charges from whatever that was. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess that would be my argument. But it could also be, again, Tony not remembering. Because David uh, Chase, I saw him even say this because... Technically, like, the flashbacks, the ages don't quite match up. And someone asked David Chase, and he's just like, eh, their memory's unreliable. He was just like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. But that's also, you're not wrong, Walter. You're, you're absolutely wrong. right. But, yeah, so anyway, the, the movie, Dickie Moltisanti, it's his story. Uh, there's a little bit with the race riots, which are mentioned, the Newark race riots. Which is the setting for the movie. And they, uh, they mention that on the show a little bit, people having memories of it. Dickie's basically feuding with, uh, was it, uh, I'll look up his name. Harold. Harold, yeah. Played by Leslie Odom Jr. There you go. Uh, he was good, too. He's great. Yeah, he was great. Um, I, was, I like that they gave him kind of a full arc and a full story. So he's feuding because he's basically, this guy Harold, he wants to start his own numbers game, but that's Dickie's territory. Well, he used to work for Dickie. Mm-hmm. And the whole backdrop of like these race riots happening is Harold wanting more for himself and being tired of just taking whatever he's given. So uh, the other thing about this movie is it really is a story about like the American dream and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Cause you also have uh Jessapina or whatever her name is. I don't know what her name is in the movie. The hot Italian chick. Yeah. His uh, stepmother. Yes, Dickie's stepmother. Dickie's stepmother, because she marries his father while his father's visiting Italy, played by Ray Liotta, Hollywood Dick Moltisanti. And in a double role, he appears again <laughs> as his brother. 
Two Ray Liotas. That's this is what I love about David Chase. He goes, okay, so I'm getting Ray Liotta back for his big mafia movie comeback, but fuck it, I don't want one Ray Liotta. I want two Ray Liotas because I'm David Chase. And it sounds crazy, but then you're like, there is some wild artistry to this. Yeah, it's insane how well it works. Um, so yeah, basically. Uh, anyway, go with on with what you were saying. So. Uh- the hot Italian chick, she... Yeah, I'll look her up. It, it starts off with her not being able to speak English at all. She doesn't speak English. Jess, she did, yeah, Jessa, Jessa Pina, she's Michela De Rossi. Yes. But the, by the, the end of her story arc, basically, she is speaking English. She wants a job. She, like, she's speaking fluent English. She wants a job. But then, Dickie, you know, very impulsive. Very impulsive like Tony. Objection, Your Honor. First off, <laughs> look, I, yeah, Dickie, uh, again, we see, this is the problem, is like the reason The Sopranos is so captivating is that you see this normal guy with normal problems, but he's, he's, a, he's a mafia boss. He's capable of killing people. But there is goodness in him. Like th- there's, a, there's a moment at the end of the show where his therapist, Dr. Melfi, kind of, it seems like maybe comes to the realization that he's a sociopath and he can't be helped, at least with traditional therapy. I don't think, I think at the end, Tony was a sociopath, but I don't think he was throughout the show. And it's the same with Dickie. You know what I mean? Because they are guys you can connect with. They want to be good. They try to be good. Well, I'll make a counter argument to that. I think Dickie's humanity was lost the moment that he killed Jessica. Well, I don't think we know if his humanity's killed because he, you know, well, spoilers for the movie too, because he dies at the end, which we already fucking know. Yeah, because the, the show. But my my point with that is, um, we see him do these horrible things, but also in contrast to the other gangsters, he seems softer. And Tony was the exact same way on The Sopranos, like he was just he had that little bit of compassion that made him different, like. Uh, one easy one is, uh, you know, the guys on The Sopranos were pretty free with their hands and women. Like, they were hitting women all the time, open-palming them. Tony, uh, he only, I think, ever laid his hands on one woman. And that was the woman who, the girlfriend who committed suicide. I can't yes, remember her name. and it's because it, she reminded him of his mother. His mother, who he hates. But every other time, like... Like, Carm even attacks him at one point, and he just goes, like, what are you doing? He just, like, pushes her on the couch. Like, he, it's silly to him. But my point is, like, you see these other guys, they're a lit, they just got that little bit extra. They're willing to backhand a woman. They're willing to punch yeah. a woman. And, and Dickie's not like that. And Dickie, the other thing, like, he was working with Harold. When Harold comes in to talk to Dickie, which I love that we see all the same places where they hang out in The Sopranos, they're still hanging out yeah. here. Um, like, when Harold comes to see Dickie, Dickie's in that room with everybody, and everybody gives Harold a lot of shit, and they look at him like he is disgusting. And Dickie's a fucking nice guy to him. I agree with that to a certain point because I I uh, do think yeah I'm not uh, I'm not like saying he's like look everybody here's my black friend I'm saying in terms of like treatment back then he's at least again not a good guy, but he's he has that excuse yeah I try I try so hard to be good yeah but he doesn't take that extra step like Tony so he's a tortured soul. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, but my point is like Dickie mirrors Tony. It's the exact same fucking guy. Maybe a little more progressive just because Tony is, you know, a generation removed. Yeah. 
But yeah, so Dickie, uh, we mentioned Ray Liotta. Speaking of uh, hitting women, Ray Liotta, very uh, loose with his hands, which I don't know why. His wife is fucking... Hollywood Dick. His first Hollywood role. Dick, yeah. His first role is Dickie's father. He comes back married. And again, he beats the shit out of this woman. One time he's mad because she leaves her, uh, her, her douche out. And he goes, it's unsightly. <laughs> Which I'm like, Jesus, bro, at least she's cleaning it. Like, it's, it's all right, bro. But anyway, so Dickie, we see, kind of has a bit of a connection with his uh, stepmother. You know, he's into stepmom stuff. I mean, hey, look. Uh, well, Hollywood Dick, the whole reason that his character, he basically Dickie whacks him, he kills him. Yeah, because Dickie is impulsive. And he loses control because he tells his father, don't hit her again, because that's how you used to treat mom, and I didn't like it back then. Yes. And Dick, well, Hollywood Dick tells him to go fuck himself. And Dickie freaks out, just starts bashing his head into the steering wheel, and doesn't realize he's killed him until, like, after it's already done. I was surprised by that. I was really surprised, too, because, well... Of course, they kill Ray Liotta kind of early because then they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's Ray Liotta again, motherfucker. <laughs> well, he's uh, he's Dick's uh, uncle. Yeah. Who's in prison. We don't get the full story, but basically he was cut uh, off from the family. He killed uh, my ma- boss. A made guy. Who and was the family. In their family. But, uh, you know, Dickie, I want to do a good deed. So he goes to see, he starts seeing his uncle. Because he has no one else to talk to anymore. Mm-hmm. He has no one to talk about his problems with. Yes, because th- that's the other thing we see is Dickie is very introspective like Tony. He questions things a lot. He needs to talk about things a lot. But, you know, we're back. Therapy was barely accepted when Sopranos was on. You know what I mean? So we're, we're back in time a little bit. And, uh, yeah, but he still needs someone to latch on to and tell his problems to. So every time someone dies who is that person, he just finds another one. Yeah, and uh, Dickie has never met Sal, the second role played by Ray Liotta, because he's in prison for that murder. Yeah, and his dad said, "Don't you're not allowed to see him. So he, he goes to see him, and he's giving him like creature comforts, like jazz records. But really, the exchange is he wants to talk, and he wants to confide in someone. And his uncle's a good guy to confide in, too, because he's a fucking realist, bro. He's just straight up tells it like it is. And... Uh, he looks through all of Dickie's bullshit. He see, yeah, he sees he straight through him. No patience for it. Like, there's a great fucking moment where Dickie, he's like, oh, you know what, I do so many good things. And then he's talking about this blind baseball team that he's, uh, <laughs> that he's the coach of, and you see it play out. Because first you're like, wait, do blind kids play baseball? Which maybe they do, I don't know. I haven't looked it up because I like the mystery of it. But it was like the beeping ball and everything. It was this. It was whole, like a sonar baseball. Yeah, and then it, it ends with like all these parents are calling him a saint and stuff, and he's telling his uncle this. And then when he sort of comes to out of fantasy land, his uncle's already gone because he knows it's bullshit. He's like, I don't want to hear this fucking bullshit. Um, but yeah, so that's like who he talks to. Those are almost the therapy scenes. They're some of the best scenes. They have some of the best fucking writing. My favorite line, which I want to know your favorite line too, comes from fucking uh, uh, Sal when he goes. Uh, pain comes from always wanting things. And then he goes, but what do I know? I'm a murderer. Because Dickie goes to him, mm-hmm. and one of the repeated themes of the show is I Dickie wants his, a son. Yeah. And he says his wife can't give him a son. Mm-hmm. And that's when Sal says his, it to him. 
uh, yeah, and we should say after his dad dies, he ends up fucking his stepmom. She becomes his guma. Yeah. Um, she's a pretty good guma, but she later, when she dies, which you say is the moment uh, Dickie's soul died, is after she confesses to Dickie. And this is after Dickie, they had had a fight about something. He buys her a business. She thinks he, he doesn't want her to get a job and all this shit. But that's absolutely not true. He, and this is another thing I'll say. Dickie, I'm going to defend my client here. Dickie does try to be good, man. Dickie puts a lot of effort into being good. But it, you could say the same thing about Tony, though. Yeah, but I would almost argue, I think Dickie might be, oh, I don't know, man. It's tough. It's tough to uh, defend a guy you watched uh, like drown a woman. You know what I mean? The rate, Right after he said the N-word. The rate, Oh, yeah, he did. Because oh, basically she confesses that she slept with someone else, which I think when she first says it isn't a big deal. It's a big deal who it is. Because, again, she's a guma. It's like, you know, maybe you slept with a guy once or something. It was uh, Harold that she slept with. Who's making a move, trying to come up in trying Jersey, to take, trying and to starting a rival business. game. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have to say... That is pretty fucked up. Well, I would say uh, Harold is equally as scummy as Dickie in that way. Oh, H- Harold, bro? I'll straight up say Harold, I think, is the worst character in this movie. Harold's a scumbag, bro. Betrayed my boy Dickie. Because that's the thing. When he when he does go in business for himself, he kind of, like, very aggressively does so. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just has guys start going to fuck. Oh, he kills somebody. He takes someone out on Dickie's crew who's making a collection, and then he just goes, yo, we'll be back for the, the pickup from now on. So he doesn't, and Dickie, even if he can be like, oh, Dickie's a bad boss or whatever, again, Dickie tries to be good. He is, he, he is treating him better than these other people do, and I don't think he cares whether he works for him or not, you know what I mean? And Dickie, we see the same resistance to violence. Like Tony, we would see he would explode and get violent sometimes. But he was always the guy who was like, I don't want to go to war. I don't want to whack this guy. I don't want to do any of this shit. And Dickie, we see that in this movie, too, because he's kind of resistant to, to being as, like, uh, being as homicidal as fucking, uh, uh, fucking Harold. You know what I mean? Well, you say that, but he murders his father and his guma. But that's what I'm saying. He murders them in these, like, personal, like, he explodes because his brain's all fucked up. Yeah. But what I'm saying is... In his mafia role, he's like Tony, because really, I mean, right when Harold shoots that first guy, he should just kill everybody. You know what I mean? But he doesn't do that. He's trying to send a message. Yeah. The interesting thing about that scene, too, where they, they go to, he goes to steal basically that, that pickup spot mm-hmm. for the bookmaking. There's two songs playing. So the song in the car is The Revolution Will Not Be Televised yes, by yep, Gil Scott yep. Heron. And then in the store, it's ABC. By Jackson Five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And it, the, they're saying two different things. You know what I mean? ABC. So I thought that was interesting too, uh, just based on the fact that that well, they're songs from two different eras, two different Americas. Yes. That's, two different views of black people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And basically, the song uh, that I think takes over in that moment is The Revolution Will Not Be Televised mm-hmm. because here comes Harold. He's about to fuck some people up because yeah. he's, he's no longer going to be just taking whatever he's given. Yeah. He's going out there to take it for himself now. Yeah, which to be fair, I mean, hey, that's the American way because the thing is, 
that's what Dickie's doing. You know what I mean? The only difference is he's just Italian. That's it. They're already established. And you see that uh, throughout the, the movie, too. I, I, I really didn't know how the race was going to be handled because there were some talk of, like, there was some talk of race on the show, but it, it never became a center point. Um, but the way he did it was great. I mean, I thought, because you see the progress basically over the years. When, like, like Johnny Boy gets out of prison and he sees uh, some black people have moved into his neighborhood. He's he is, very upset. He is very angry. He's angry at Junior, too, because Junior was in charge, Uncle Junior. And he he's mad because Uncle Junior didn't stop this. And then he gets mad at his wife for not stopping yeah. him. And then he's mad at everybody <laughs> for not telling him. <laughs> Which this, is very, a very Tony way to react. Yeah, and this is the day he's coming home from prison. <laughs> I love when when uh, when uh, Vera Farmiga is just crying. And she's like, I made your favorite dish. <laughs> it's all ruined. <laughs> And right when he walks in, he's like, I just want to see my guma and go to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was a great scene in the movie, too, because it shows the chill. Time's changing. The you know? times are changing. Uh, Johnny Boy's not prepared for it. And then we see at the end of the movie, like, it ends. This was either the last shot or one of the last shots. We see Harold moving into what looks like a white neighborhood. You know what I mean? So this progress is happening one way or another, which was the same shit that was going on in season six of The Sopranos. It was like, change is happening. There's no, there's no stopping it. Um, but yeah, again, I, I love the story. I mean, I get why people are like, oh, it's too condensed. We don't spend enough time with certain characters. But it's like, look, I'm seeing a movie sequel to The Sopranos, a show I watched for six seasons. I'm going in with different expectations. Yeah. Like, what I want is I want that great fucking David Chase writing. I want fucking New Jersey streets. I want Gabagool. I want fucking angry Italians. I want fucking fingers getting waved. I want all that shit, and I, I got it. And again, he, he's such a brilliant writer. Like, I think structurally as a story... You could certainly pick this apart because I think David Chase is a better TV writer because he can let it let his writing breathe, but it's still fucking poetry, dude. This fucking movie, oh my god! So uh, I don't think you answered me. What's your favorite line? Do you have one? Um, I don't know. I, I would have to watch it a couple more times. I, you know what? I, my first impulse is whenever they're outside the funeral and it's pouring down rain. Mm-hmm. And Tony goes to Dickie and he explains to him, like, hey, my mom said something about these pills mm-hmm. that she wants to take, which is a, a later a theme in the show for Tony because he goes on Prozac mm-hmm. and all this shit. And what does Dickie say about Janice again? Because he oh, said Janice yeah. says it would help her and it would help her move. Yeah, he goes, Janice, that's, that's one we should all be listening and to. And everybody <laughs> reacted in the theater to that one. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> laughed. Yeah, because certain people can see through Janice. Um I'll give you a great line. Uh, Joey Coco Diaz, Uncle Joey. He's got one of the best lines in the movie. Because Uncle Junior is made, he's put in charge of, uh, of the Jersey crew when Johnny Boy's not around. And he says to them at a funeral, he goes, uh, well, my brother's in prison. Everything goes through me. And Joey Diaz goes, what, do you got diarrhea? <laughs> and that's the theme throughout the movie. Uncle Junior gets very, he gets stepped on. No one has any respect for no. him. He's soft. And Dickie, most of all. Dickie gives him a lot of shit. I don't think Dickie ever tries to be mean with him. I think he just can't help himself. Yeah. Because he's so, it's too easy of a target. So we see Dickie, like, at that funeral, Uncle Junior, he falls on the stairs, and Dickie laughs his ass off at it. 
And we see later, like, he, he seriously injured himself. He can't even fuck. And, uh, you know, later he, like, questions him because Polly makes a joke about his girlfriend being homesick, and he's like, oh, maybe she's getting some other dick. And the junior laughs it off, and Dickie just can't help himself. He's like, what's the matter with you? Guy questions whether your girlfriend's sleeping with another guy, and you laugh it off or whatever he says. Oh, we should say uh, the guy who plays Dickie, amazing. Oh, yeah. I think, again, whatever problems you have with it, he should be nominated, and Ray Liotta should be nominated, bro, for two motherfucking roles. He held out this long for a new Mafia movie, and he got two fucking roles. Well, the other thing about Ray Liotta in this movie, the two roles, very different. Oh, they're complete opposites, because Hollywood Dick is a big... He's always just boasting, he's an asshole, and uh, Sal is very, very... Because he had consequences. Yeah, he said he's been in prison since he was 25. And he's uh, probably a man in, what, his late 60s, early 70s in this movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad, but we should say Alessandro Nivola. I always know him as Billy from Jurassic Park 3, because it's the only thing I can ever think of when I think of this guy. He was amazing in this movie. They were all great. Who is your favorite actor playing a character from The Sopranos? The guy who plays Silvio. Oh, uh, John um, Majero plays Silvio. Which, again, I've seen some mixed things about him. I thought he fucking killed it. He killed it, it dude. He killed it. And he, he had a couple of big laughs because we saw this in the theater. Um, like when he goes to walk to the door and he's walking like Silvio. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I think some people have criticized it, but it's like you got to remember, Stephen Van Zant made like one of the most special characters in TV history because he did it so over the top. But he convinced you that this over-the-topness was this guy. Yeah. He brought sincerity to it. So I think seeing him in a movie, it's like people immediately go, oh, you know, he's just doing an over-the-top thing. But yeah, I thought he was brilliant. I love the hairpiece thing, too. We find out Silvio's perfect hair was uh, was a hairpiece. I'd say of all the younger people, my favorite... I mean, I love Dickie, but again, we didn't see Dickie on the show. I liked... Uh, <laughs> I liked Uncle Junior probably the best. I think Corey Stahl just sold that role. He did. He sold sure. that role with not a ton of uh, screen time. I mean, he was in the whole movie, but... Uh, what a blow. What a blow. Consider me your brother. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite Silvio line is whenever he's on the phone and he says, that fucking truck's not going to unload itself. Yeah. And he starts he talking to the does. crew. It's, it's Silvio, dude. And it's... That's how you know they they fucking killed these performances because it's not the big moments you, where you're like, oh my god, that's fucking him. It's the little moments. Like the moment for me with Silvio was uh, Tony comes to see Dickie. Uh, Dickie at the end is cutting Tony off after he kills this woman. He's very broken up about it. Yes, my client feels immense guilt over what happened. Allegedly, he, he wishes it never happened. Just like he wished it was a misunderstanding. Yeah, <laughs> so he's. His uncle says to him, as far as your nephew goes, stay out of his life. Give him a Christmas gift. Well, the buildup to that is him saying, you know, your father gets killed, then your guma dies. He knows. Yeah. He, knows. he, he says could- you have bad luck. And what I one of one of my favorite lines is, you know the Christmas song, my favorite things. And Dickie's like, Yeah. And he's like, Maybe some of the things you do aren't God's favorite. Yeah. Writing like that, bro, how can anyone complain about this movie? Um, 
But yeah, I was going to say the, the moment with uh, Silvio. So Dickie cuts uh, Tony off, tries to. At the end, we find out he was going to go see Tony, which we'll get into all that. But anyway, uh, Silvio answers the door when Tony's like, hey, my Uncle Dickie there. And he's like, uh, he just sold it. The way he did his face, the way he goes. Because at one point he says uh, he's not there. And Tony goes, but his car's right there. And Silvio's just like, uh, battery died. It was so perfect. It was so because Silvio. That's what he does when he's trying to lie. He does. He that. did. He did that in the show too. There was an exact moment of that in yeah, the show too, where he just does this little shake, like, uh, and then he comes up with a lie and just yeah. says it really quick, like, yeah. eh, you know, it's bullshit. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, and then you know, uh, there's a young pussy. Uh, oh, the young Polly was great, which I I wasn't sure they were gonna pull off Polly, but you don't see much of Polly too. I'll say that. No. You know, Paul, you see, he's got a few funny moments, but it was funny seeing him have just a tiny moment with Tony. Tony walks in, he's, you know, where's my Uncle Dickie? And Polly's just like, oh, hey, kid. And it's like, this man is going to annoy the shit out of you one day. And oh, you yeah. don't even fucking know it. I like, too, that you see that everyone else is a little bit older than Tony. Silvio, Polly. Well, when you're first introduced to him, Tony's, what, 12 or 13, and everybody else, at least late teens, early 20s at that time. That's what I think. I think uh, Silvio's probably pretty, still pretty young in the show. But, like, Polly's probably, like, what, early 30s, you think? Silvio's probably, like, 20s. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, yeah, I like seeing that they were a little bit older. Because, again, you see a difference between Tony and these other gangsters on the show, and that's because they picture him as a kid. Because they knew him as a fucking kid. Like, this kid, they've seen him growing up, so I think it's tough for them to respect him. And, it's again, it's a great little detail in the sh- in the movie that makes you appreciate the show more. Uh, so, your fi- who else did we see uh, younger characters? Vera Farmiga was great. John Bernthal is, of course, fucking great. Who yeah. the fuck else could play Tony Soprano's dad? John Bernthal's just a badass bro. One of the lines that I really liked that Vera Farmiga said was about Johnny Boy. Whenever uh, it was something about um, she's asking Dickie to talk to Tony. Oh, because she and I like when she says to Junior because Jun- that's another thing which we'll talk about the ending next. Uh, Junior wants to be this surrogate, take this surrogate father role on for Tony because that's what he's supposed to do because he's the uncle. But we see that Tony is more he gravitates more towards Dickie because- and Dickie gravitates towards him back. Yeah. Yeah, Dickie legitimately likes this kid. He talks about him a lot. Like, he talks about how he wants to be a good role model and all this stuff. And, uh, but yeah, so, um, where was I going with that? I don't know. (laughs) Were you not listening to me? No, I was fucking listening. I don't know. I don't know how to predict your thoughts. Oh, uh, so Junior's talking and, uh, he goes, because Tony just got suspended from school. He goes, I'll talk to him. And Vera Farmiga, she's like, "Ah, Junior, the way you talk, it confuses him. He'll only listen to Dickie. (laughs) And he does listen to Dickie. So that's why I'll ask you, what did you think of the ending of the movie? Because the ending is probably going to be controversial for some people. Well, Let me take a step back. The thing I was going to say about Vera Farmiga, she talks about how uh, Johnny Boy, if he were to talk to him, he would uh, get upset with Tony, and then he would get more upset because there was glass between him and he couldn't hit him. And that is also very like Tony. Yeah, yeah. But as far as the ending goes, I like the ending. It was a satisfying ending. We find out that Uncle Junior... He killed... He set up the hit on Dickie Moulton. He has him whacked, yeah. Which makes sense because on the show, Dickie Moltisanti's death is very strange because Tony at one point tells Christopher, 
here's the guy who killed your father. It's like a retired cop. He used to do hits or something. And he gives this vague explanation about he's been useful, so we've kept him alive. Chris mentions when he kills this guy, he's like, maybe it's not true. I don't know. But it's weird. Dickie died, and no one took credit for it because he was a high-profile guy. And Harold says right before that he's going to kill Dickie. So why wouldn't he take credit? It's because he didn't do it. So it makes sense that it would be someone like Junior who would have to hide it. We never really got the true story, which I'm sure a sequel would explore. But yeah, I like that. And I like, too, it deepens the relationship between Junior and Tony. Because Junior, on the show, ends up getting Alzheimer's. And he, his relationship devolves with Tony. He ends up shooting him when he's confused one night. But there's, like, so many great moments between them. Like, when he starts uh, losing his mind or losing control of his mind, he starts saying things that really hurt Tony. And Tony doesn't understand why he says them, but it's obviously because he's confused. Don't you love me, Uncle Junior? And he says, don't you love me, Uncle June? And Junior doesn't answer him. And before you're like, wow, like, why doesn't he answer him? Like, maybe he feels guilt because there's a lot of shit that happens between them. Now I'm like, this makes sense because Junior's ultimate sin was killing Dickie. Because that put Tony on the path that he was on. Yes. We should rewind for a second and talk about, okay, Ray Liotta's character, Sal, tells him, stay out of your nephew's life. And he tries to. He tries to. Then later on, um, like you mentioned, Tony goes there. He wants to see Uncle Dickie. He wants to talk to Uncle Dickie. Uncle Dickie's not having it. And there's a great scene between Silvio and Dickie outside, oh. which is a replication exactly of Tony and um, and Silvio's relationship. It broke my heart, bro, that scene. He talks to him, and he's like, you know, he's a good kid. He has the chance to do more than we're doing. Yeah, he says, some, he, he says he has potential beyond this thing of ours. And it's so heartbreaking to hear that because because Silvio on the show, there really is like a protective quality about him over Tony, even though he's never very outright about it but he's always there to guide tony and be like look don't do this don't do this listen to me he's the one guy who when he says to tony listen to me tony will actually he'll be frustrated but he'll go okay let's hear it and you see like silvio had a lot of he really thought uh tony was going to be something like something beyond a mob boss and so it, it shows you there's a bit of maybe a bit of guilt for silvio well fucking uh Dickie tells Silvio in that moment, he listens to him. He's like, okay, it's the same relationship he has with Tony. He doesn't, yeah, doesn't like it, but it was already what he was thinking. And he, and he, cause he basically tells him, look, you need to be in this kid's life because this kid's chosen you. This is his only shot. Yeah. Uh, he tells him to be at Holston's Ugh. at 9am, which is where the final scene of the show fucking takes place yeah. is at Holston's. And it, it's so, it's just brilliant writing because Again, it's not like just outright said. It's just you realize like, wow, like that's where Tony ultimately died. But that's also where his innocence died. Yes. Because that's the thing. So Dickie, again, as bad as Dickie is, Dickie does try, you know, he tries to do good things. Just like Tony. We do see Tony on the show. He does try to mentor. Remember Jackie April's kid? Yeah. He tried, Jackie Jr. He tried to, he really tried to keep him out of the life. So he tried, he wasn't very good at it. But we see at the end, like, Dickie, when he dies, he has those pills. Because Tony came to him asking for these antidepressants for his mom, and his mom thought it was all hogwash or whatever. And the whole point of that was Dickie is the only one who can really talk to her that she listens to. 
Yeah. Because she probably has a little bit of a crush on Dickie. Definitely. Dickie is, uh, you know. He's, he's a handsome guy. Everybody love, loves yeah. him. Um, but what's fucked about that from, the, from Tony's perspective is who does he try to become? Dickie. Yeah. Well, and that's why he likes, uh, I, I, I heard someone say this. You know, Tony on the show, he always goes, whatever happened to the strong, silent type? Like, he likes uh, Gary Cooper. He likes all those guys. And Dickie, we see, Dickie's kind of like that. Like, that's Dickie's outward personality. He's kind of that old school, like, hey. But of, obviously, he has these deep-seated, like, issues with rage and stuff. But in front of everyone else, he really doesn't, he doesn't bring his problems to light. Well, th- there's that one scene, too, where after Tony's knocking on the door, he's crying in his office smoking a cigarette because he wants to see Tony. Yeah. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And, yeah, he says uh, he'll meet Tony the next day, which obviously he doesn't because he's killed that night by whoever Junior hired, which Junior, some people might be like, oh, is that enough for Junior to kill him? I think it is because if Dickie's there, I mean, his brother's basically saying I respect Dickie more. Well, everybody's acting that way to Junior. And he's like, look, I'm not going to get ahead in this life. Because this is him thinking, like, I could be a future boss one day. If Dickie's around, it ain't going to happen. But I think that also, it really plays into, like, uh, as uh, his dementia worsens on the show, he thinks about memories with Tony more and more. And again, I think it's because everyone on this show, they always have, like, one ultimate sin where it's, like, that last bit of humanity leaves and that was Junior's ultimate sin, because I think even he knows after a while that if Dickie had stayed around, Tony would have been on a different path. So if Dickie would have lived, do you think Tony would have become a mobster? Would he gone to college, gotten a job? I think he would have gone to college and gotten a job, because Dickie was a bad influence in some ways, but I don't... I could be wrong. i got to watch the movie again. I don't think Dickie wanted him to get in the mob. Because he would already be doing shit with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he does give him, like, he does say something to him that kind of explains uh, how Tony excuses his bad behavior on the show. When he's giving him some speakers, and Tony's like, I can't get caught with this shit. I want to go to college. And Dickie has a great line where he's like, he's like, um, you know, you take the speakers, you tell yourself, I'm never going to steal anything again in my life. And it's that simple. Like, he's basically just saying, just lie to yourself. But... Again, he doesn't get him, him involved in the job or anything. He just gives him some fucking speakers. And he says about him at another point, he's like, you know, this kid's going places. And I think he means, like, this kid's going beyond the fucking mob thing. And the talk with Silvio. The fact that Silvio says that, and Dickie goes, yeah, you're, you're fucking right. So I don't think Tony would have got mobbed up um, if Dickie lived. Because I don't think Dickie would have liked it. No, I think Dickie would have seen himself as a prote- protector Maybe in the same way that Tony tried to be to Jackie Aprile. Yeah. Or Jackie, or Jackie, Jackie Jr. Jr. Yeah. yeah. Um, and plus the fact that he had that, he actually got that medication for his mom. Again, Dickie's a little more, again, we fucking witnessed him kill a woman, so this is hard to say, but he's a little more progressive than these other guys. Like, he understands Tony because Tony's in his head a little bit. Like, these other guys are just surface-level guys, you know what I mean? So he would have helped with his mom, too, because the mom was Tony's biggest uh, issue in his life. Because she, what do you say? She's incapable of, of, uh, of uh, experiencing joy. And it's probably because she was a manic depressive. She was probably very bipolar. Yes. But if she had been medicated, Tony's life really could have been different. Well, it could have turned around. Yeah. And so the final shot of the movie, which I fucking love, is 
Dicky, he's dead, you know, it's his funeral. And Tony looks down on him, and you can see something changing in Tony's eyes. And he just reaches his pinky out, and it's their pinkies. They're doing another pinky promise. Like they did when Tony was a kid. Right. Obviously, this is in Tony's head, but I, I think this is where he hardens, and he becomes a fucking gangster. Because that's the other thing. Remember, he goes, I don't want any part of this. And then he's throwing those. At one point, he throws the speakers out when Dickie And John Berthold's like, what this? Yeah, he's like, oh, what this? <laughs> Tony, he's acting just like his dad. He's throwing these speakers out, out the window that Dickie gave him because Dickie's not seeing him. And his dad comes home and he's like, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> he's crying. He's, he's upset. Talking, and his dad's just like, what this? <laughs> it's a oh. great scene. Um, yeah, I think I think Dickie would have been a, a good influence. And then, anyway, that that final shot, I fucking love it. And we should say Christopher Moltisanti narrates the fucking movie because from beyond the grave, because David Chase can do whatever the fuck he wants. So fuck you. And it's I love I love the opening when it's going through the cemetery and you hear different people basically narrating their lives, and then you get to Christopher, and Chris is still Chrissy. We assume, I, he's in hell. I mean, he says he's in hell. Yeah. And the final line of the movie when we're looking at Tony and he's got the, the his pinky out, Christopher Moltisanti just goes, that's the guy I went to hell for. Boom. Theme song of the fucking show plays. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I love that he played the theme song. Oh, the yeah. Movie. Well, that's what, what we talked about, too. I was like, the only poetic way for this to end yeah. is at the end, the final shot is of, like, Tony becoming Tony. Well, and the theme song plays. And it makes sense because he's literally saying, this is the start of The Sopranos. This is where that world you watched started. This is the seed that planted that entire world. Because without Tony becoming who he becomes, we don't see these other characters. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I would... Uh, I, I love the ending, man. And I really want to see... Well, uh, I should ask you too, because we're both Joey Diaz fans. What did you think of uh, Uncle Joey? Joey was awesome. Dude. He was. He awesome. was made to be in The Sopranos. Yes, I'm so fucking glad he was in it. His character's name was Buddha, and he was uh, Pussy's father. He right? was Pussy's dad. Yeah, he was great. Like I said, he has that one great line, and he dies in the movie. Spoilers, but fuck, he's got a great death. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, he gets his head blown clean off in a gang war. Oh, it's fucking great. What you know, it, it got Joey Diaz's dick hard when he read that his head got oh, blown off. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know he fucking loved that. But yeah. So uh, Joey Diaz, John Bernthal was great. Yeah, it was all great. Did you have a favorite like callback moment? Because there were a lot of them. We saw like Junior. He said the athlete thing for the first time. <laughs> Tony doesn't have the makings of a varsity athlete. Uh, we saw Christopher was introduced as a baby. Yeah, that was good. I think my probably my favorite callback was that Janice one. Oh, just uh, when um, Alessandro, uh, now I'm actually calling him by his name, when Dickie says that about Janice. Yeah. Oh, that's funny, yeah. Because we don't really see a lot of Janice in the movie, but it just fills no. in the blanks that she's kind of flighty and you can't really trust her. Yeah, and... yeah. Well, like Uncle Junior says... She took $10 out of his wallet once. There's something, it was <laughs> yeah. something like he that. He tells everybody that story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's something wrong with her. Yeah, because he's very red-pilled about Janice as well. But yeah, so it's narrated by Christopher Moltisanti, which, again, I loved. Ends on that line. Ends with basically The Sopranos being born. I hope they make a sequel because that that's another thing. I think a lot of people went into this expecting a young Tony story. It's not. It's Dickie's story. And Tony, but this is the thing. Tony is going from he's a supporting player to Dickie dying makes him the main player in this entire world. Like yeah. now he is the guy who influences all these people's lives, whether directly or indirectly, because he's basically taking, uh, you know, Dickie's spot. 
Well, another thing I liked about the movie too, uh, if you want to talk about callbacks, is Artie and Tony's friendship. Because it's one of the most perplexing moments on the show just because Artie gets away with so fucking much on the show. He's allowed to like pull guns on Tony and say whatever he wants to Tony and he never gets in trouble for anything. And you see that they were friends since they were children. Like they were taking the fucking bookmaking at school when they were in elementary school, but and Artie was there with him. I think that's partly why, like, I would always argue, I mean, there is goodness in Tony because he's legit friends with Artie. Yeah. He cares about him. His only true friend probably on the show. And I think he was, I mean, you see on the show, he's obviously leading a life that he doesn't want, but he respects Artie because Artie has a talent. Artie's a cook, and Artie has something he's passionate about. I think he sees Artie's life, and he's like, how the fuck are you not happy? Like... But yeah, he protects him a lot. And I, I'll argue about the age thing. Some people have said the age thing doesn't make sense. There is a line that's always confused me on The Sopranos. It's in the, I think, the pilot. And Silvio says about Artie, he goes, that guy Artie, you went to school with him, right? It's almost like he doesn't know Artie. But it makes sense that Silvio would be a little bit older because he probably has only run into Artie a few times. And then when Artie opens that restaurant, that's when everyone sort of meets like, oh, this is Tony's friend. Um, but yeah. Love Artie. Love that man. But yeah, uh, love the Sopranos. And I'd love to see I'd love to see that relationship more in a sequel. I'd love to see I'd love to see Tony with this young crew cuz again we don't see enough of them. Well, the card game between Jackie and Tony going to the, the it's Feach's card game, yeah, right? Yeah, Feach Feach whatever. Uh there's a card game. Yeah, Jackie. Cuz again, Jackie we see very briefly who's on the show. Jackie and Tony um, held up a card game that was for like it was set up by made guys, which is something they should have got killed for, but it made them. Uh, so I'm assuming that's going to happen very soon in the timeline. That's why I'm saying like the sequel. I think will be the movie that people want. I'm ass- I'm saying I'm assuming there will be a sequel. David Chase did a five year deal with HBO, right? Yeah. Um, which my only guess, they probably don't want to do another movie. Because it seems like a waste. It's like everyone's going to watch it at home anyway, which I saw the box office. Everyone did watch it at home. So I think they're going to try to tell them, like, let's do like a six-part series, which that would be amazing. Like, just a six-episode series, bring all these actors back, Young Polly, Pussy, all these guys. We can see that animal, Tony Blondato, whatever his name is. That's what I would like to see in a sequel. But as far as this movie goes, I like this movie, dude. And I'll say this, David Chase... Like, cause again, some people are like, this doesn't live up to the quality of Sopranos. If you watch Sopranos, there's just oddities everywhere. And it was the same in this movie because David Chase is trying to harken back to like, he is a mix of, you know, if you look at the, the movies that inspire him, they're from like the thirties. You know what I mean? So he's taking so many filmmaking sensibilities and putting them together. Like sometimes he's trolling, sometimes he's not trolling. Um, and I love this. It was just a great like B movie gangster picture. You know what I mean? So I, I was satisfied with it overall, and I really hope we get a sequel. I'm assuming if he has a five-year deal, fuck else you want from David Chase except Sopranos. Yeah. I'd be like, start writing now, bitch. We might as well have called this the Sopranos 2 deal, because that's all I fucking want out of you for the next five years. I would start whipping him. I would... Oh. Sopranos I, content now. If they <laughs> don't do anything else, though, with it, I'll be very be satisfied happy. with this. I'd be happy because... It still leaves a lot of blanks. But, that it makes you draw draw but, like conclusions from, but that's what's good about Sopranos. Yeah, exactly. And I'll say 
the sequel is unnecessary. The sequel itself would be fan service because the Dickie story, I get why that has to be told. This, But again, this literally ends with, this is the moment Sopranos starts. So you don't need a sequel. But all those young guys were so good. And I wish, I wish they um, were in a movie that was getting like, it wasn't so divisive. So it'd be cool to see them get their own show or movie because I think that's what everyone wants but as far as this I think this is going to be like the uh, series finale which it's funny when that happened people were like fuck David Chase fuck his mother fuck his family they were like this is the worst shit anyone's ever done now you find more and more people going it's brilliant it's one of the greatest fucking endings to a show ever maybe the best I think the same thing's going to happen with this I'm not saying this is going to be respected on the level of The Sopranos but Bro, I mean, look at how many people, uh, you know, like the prequels, Star Wars prequels. You know what I'm saying? This is, uh, is going to be similar stuff. 